Romans chapter 5. Paul sort of makes a, a movement into a different direction, applying what he's been teaching. So that Paul, having spent the last few chapters explaining how the ungodly, wretched sinners that we all are by nature could possibly be declared righteous by a holy and just God. And he's laid it out firmly and plainly, but he, he lays it out just as clear as day that God does just that in Jesus Christ. God grants to all who believe in his own righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ and only through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's helpful to keep your place here in Romans 5 and, and go back to Romans 3 so that we can hear this again, what he's actually applying to our, to our lives today. So Romans 3, we're going to read verses 21 through 26. Before we go to his word, let us, let us pray. Um, Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would hear it even afresh, that you would speak directly to our hearts, our souls, from this word, that the reading of your word um, would produce faith, revival, and it would be a, a quenching water to thirsty souls. And then that the preaching of your word would equally be, be listened to, and that it would be uh, a blessing, and that it would be um, firmly based upon uh, the application of your word to your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so he goes on to elaborate how it is, um, in faith that Jesus Christ has done this, and only through faith in Jesus Christ that one can receive this righteousness, that we can receive this declaration, this justification. And then beginning in chapter 5, Paul is going to begin to show what this means for our day-to-day -day living. So we have this, and so what does it, it mean for us? And we go to Romans 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The word of the Lord. So first, verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So peace with God. is different than the peace of God. So you might not pick up on that 
immediately, but the peace of God is a result of peace with God. So we see the peace of God in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. So I'm going to turn there quickly. If you'd like to go there with me, you can just see it there. So Philippians, all of Paul's writings are, are grouped together there. Philippians chapter 4, this is verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see this peace of God here. So that this peace of God is an inward state of well-being. It's a, it's a, it's a peace of God. And so we could see it's a certain steadiness during different um, storms and trials that we may go through as we run through these problems in our life with this peace of God that just surpasses understanding. And this peace with God, with God in Romans 5, okay, we have this peace of God, but we also have this peace with God. You, you, you're really hearing the difference. That proposition makes a difference. Peace with God. It means um, in, in the Greek, when they were writing it, and the Greek readers were hear this, they would say, okay, I know what that word peace means. It means there's no hostility or wrath. There's a cessation of hostility. So you're at war, and then now there's peace. You know, if we're, if we're at war with um, some country, and then we now are no longer at war, we're at peace with that country. So peace with God means there is now no more hostility and no more wrath. So if the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, as Paul says in chapter 1, against all ungodliness, what we have now, because of our justification by faith, is peace with God. So you might not always feel that way, but it is a declaration from God that we have peace with God. The Hebrew way of looking at this is, in, um, is the word shalom. Which is this harmonious thing. It's things back the way they were supposed to be in the creation. Things in order. So that you have this relationship with God. That is back to the way it was supposed to be in the garden. Whereas this peaceful, non-hostile um, um, relationship. So John Murray in his commentary on Romans says. It is the state of peace flowing from reconciliation. It's a state of peace and reconciliation. You know, you're at odds with one another and now we're no longer at odds. So if somebody, if somebody is like attacking you, then you can forgive them, get out of the way and, and go. But, you know, you're still not reconciled. And so and you can forgive them and, you know, you're not you don't have your hands around their throat or anything. But there's still no reconciliation. Reconciliation is like, OK, we, we've now reconciled and we're at peace. And this is what God has done for us so that that's peace with God. So that we're not just given a different legal status, but we're in an entirely new situation. Instead of God's anger over our sin only being held back by the common grace which is given to, to all people until the day of wrath. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, without Christ, you're not with peace with God. God is not, that's a difficult thing to say. You do not have peace with God if you're not a believer. And that's something that's hard for us to understand. It's hard for the world to understand because they see so much common grace given from God, especially in these days. 
um, depending on where you live in the world, where you would see this. And so that um, people don't understand the reasons you have good things, the reasons is because there's a good God, there's a good creator, you need to give him the glory for these things. And then you go to other countries where maybe they have great sufferings and you have to tell them, it's like, you know, the reason that you're here at all, the reason that we were able to change things is because of a good and glorious God. But this peace with God is something we need to hold in our hearts. And not only do we have one, peace with God, but if you look at verse 2, we also have access into grace. So verse 2, through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we have to look at what Paul calls this condition, this grace in which we stand. So grace, undeserved blessing, favor, salvation, every benefit of the gospel is by grace. Undeserved, not only do you not deserve it, but you deserve um, you bad things, you deserve uh, wrath and curse, but instead you get a great blessing. And then he says that we actually stand in this blessing. It's not just peace. And that's the, you know, we're at peace. You go your way, I'll go mine. And that's, you know, there's something to be said. You know, there's a bully in your neighborhood and he's agreed that he's going to leave you alone for some reason. Your mama doesn't fuss at him, so he's going to leave you alone. So, you know, there's this, this secession of hostilities. But... This active blessing of God is different. So this is what he's saying. This access into grace. This active blessing that's been given to us. Even this peace is by grace. And he says in this we stand. This is an Old Testament way. You see um, standing firmly. We stand on the rock of Christ Jesus. But standing in this grace. This is what causes us not to fall. His grace. His grace alone. Not by works of the law or by doing good things. But through him. Also, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have access into this grace. Now, this also means that apart from Jesus Christ, you do not have access into this grace, into the saving grace. There's no grace from God, no saving grace from God apart from Jesus Christ and faith by him. And yet today, even the non-believer does experience this common grace. And so if you only preach to people that your life will be better if you come to Christ, well, that's not necessarily so. But what we do need to preach is you need salvation. You, you, we have a sin problem. We have a good creator God who has called us all to worship him. And we've fallen in sin and our sin has separated us from God. But Jesus Christ has come so that through him we might have this relationship with him. And more than just relationship, peace with God. And then... Through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God, casting our anxieties upon him because he cares for us and getting to know these things, then the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 73 reminds us that oftentimes the wicked prosper, but that God has set them in slippery places and their end is destruction. So there's no saving grace outside of Christ and that means that outside from Christ, you will receive exactly what you deserve on the day of judgment. Another problem with the world is they believe, well, okay, that's not too bad. But they don't understand the holiness of God, the justice of God. You will stand in front of a, a, his holiness, his perfect justice. And with such a great salvation ignored, such great salvation rejected, there is only pure naked justice. And that is fearful. 
as Jonathan Edwards has said, and the Bible says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But in Christ, through Christ, we have obtained access into this grace by which we stand. Now, this word translated as access in the ESV and the King James as others is also translated as introduction in other English translations like the NAS and LSB. So this access or in this introduction of this grace to it in which we stand. And that's because the Greek word, and whenever you see this, you good translations that have different words, it's like, okay, there must be something about that word that doesn't quite, isn't quite captured by either of these words. And it's funny, when you read commentaries on these things, um, they'll argue over or they'll debate in holiness, which word is actually better. And it's like, and then you'll read another one and they'll say, well, neither one of them are better. They both kind of get at the meaning of this word. And so there's a, an attempt to solve this problem with um, a, a Bible called the Amplified Bible that does good in some places, not so great in others. But they'll just, um, as you, it's not good for just reading. But what they'll do is they'll put all these different English words that can be you know, used to translate this thing. So access is a part of what's access into grace, but also introduction into this grace. And they're both carried by this Greek word. Um, so um, this is the example that I've come up with. With the difference between um, access and introduction. So forgive me for it. Or whatever you want to. But I went to a Metallica concert. So don't hold that against me. I've been to five. Five Metallica concerts. But this one Metallica concert. Um, we went. We, had, we saw people going backstage. And me and my friend Julian. Who's in most of these stories with me. Um, it's before I was a pastor, before I was married, before I was a, a sanctified person. So we went to, <laughs> went to see Metallica and we're like, hey, these people are going backstage. And like, if we both try to go back, you go that way, I go this way. That guy can only stop one of us. One of us can get backstage. So, of course, I got grabbed. And when I got grabbed, we had a packet that had been given to us with stickers in it. We stuck a sticker on our shirt just because we thought it looked cool. And um, he said, oh, go ahead. I was like, <gasps> It was a backstage pass. We didn't know what we had. We would have been so sad going back. And the guy that gave us these things would have been like, you didn't get to go backstage? Mm. But we did. And it was actually a, a thing called the pit that was in the stage. And so Metallica was on this stage around us. The drummer was on a track going around playing. And these guys were, so we're about, we're down, our heads are about right here. And the stage is about there. And there is a little, like you couldn't jump on stage. But you could slap them a high five. You could have their sweat trip upon you and so we're in there and they're jamming and they're playing and metallic head banging but you could see the crowd you could see the audience and they're out there just you know it's like this is what it's like for them they can see it's really very cool but we, we had that access to them but we didn't have really access but we had some access to them so it was really a, a neat thing to have done um, but later as my life got better, and I was married. Amy and I went to see Switchfoot, a Christian band. Not that Metallica's you know, evil or anything, but we saw um, a Switchfoot, and we did, we got backstage passes to go see. This time, we didn't try to sneak in. We actually had them, so we went in to see Switchfoot, and we were introduced to Switchfoot. We are like, shook their hands. We're like, hey, how you doing? You know, it's like we had a conversation, and then we stood there, had a picture taken somewhere. We have a picture of them. We actually think we blew it up or something at some point. <laughs> we got a picture with Switchfoot, and we met. We had introduction, but then we were ushered away, and watched them play. We had no access to them, and so what, what God is saying here is you get both. 
you're being introduced to grace and you have continued access to it. And grace is in Jesus Christ, in God the Father, through the Holy Spirit. So it's not inappropriate or inaccurate to say you, by Jesus Christ, have been introduced to God in a good way. And you now have access to the throne of grace. So it's like if you went to a concert and you got the backstage greet and meet and you got to say hello. And then all of a sudden the lead singer's like, hey, I want to be your friend. Let's start hanging out together. And all of a sudden you're you're hanging out with them for the rest of your life. You can call them on the phone. You can send them a text. That's that's access like your children should have with you. You know, that's what he's saying. It's this access, this introduction that we have by grace. And so what Paul is trying to get us to see and the Holy Spirit is saying to us through him is like um, this grace is not just a one time thing to 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 save you from sin. It, it, it does do that. But now, you know, it's not he saves you now go on your way. It is I am with you always. You have access to this grace. You live in it. You stand in it. So first we have his peace with God, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Second, we have access into his grace through Jesus Christ. And third, what do we do now? We rejoice. So um, chapter five, the second part of verse two, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So remember what Paul wrote in three, 23 and 24 that we read. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's one of those verses a lot of Christians have memorized. It's in their evangelism arsenal. Um, some people it's like Barney Fife's one bullet. You know, it's got, this is it. But you also have access to God now. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You go from sinners falling short to now we have hope of the glory of God. This is a future hope that we actually have the glory of God shining up in our hearts now. That we'll be in heaven one day too and transformed by his glory into his likeness in a different way than we are now. No sin and somehow glorified so that we share in this glory in a way that we're able to see him, as we sing today, face to face. We won't become God by any stretch of imagination. We're not nearly as glorious as God by any stretch of imagination. But his glory, which is supposed to be reflected in the church and reflected on believers today, will then be um, so much more greatly reflected. As, we've, as you know, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And as Moses beheld the glory of God, his face shone. So this glorification that we look forward to, this is our hope. And it's a magnificent change to go from falling short to glorification because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we have this hope. We want to see it and to be so changed by it. This awesome, gloriously bright future but what it's a hope that's supposed to get us through things and supposed to particularly get us through what Paul in Ephesians 6 12 calls this present darkness so it's one thing to think we're at peace with God we have access to his grace we've been introduced to this grace with access and now we have rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God but we live in this present darkness and what some of Paul's detractors um might have said to him, it would have been, um, well, what about now? What about 
today. Surely Paul's enemies could have argued, um, how can you say you stand in the grace of God? How can you say you have peace with God when we see all you've been through? I mean, Paul himself, great suffering, great, you know, not just people stoning him, but even nature attacking him. It's like you, you, you get in these um, storms, you've been shipwrecked more than once. You know, these things continue to happen to you. How can you say you stand in his peace? You stand in his grace. You have a hope of, of glory. When, when you go through so many trials and tribulations and sufferings and so much hardship. And then Paul would say, you know, because he'd been through great hardship, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just my life just seems to be, you know, goes the wrong way. But because of his calling to the gospel is why his life had gone so Difficultly, And so in verse 3, he says, not only that, not only do we rejoice, and this word rejoice is not just like you have this inner feeling of, of excitement, but we're, we're rejoicing. We are outwardly boasting. King James even says we glory in this, but it's a different word than the word glory that we see with the glory of God. But it's just that idea. This is what are we what are we going on so much about? You know, if you know some Christians, and hopefully maybe you're a Christian like this. It's just like you, you just talk about the, the, the great thing. You know, you can't always be like Ebenezer Scrooge on the, the day after, you know, he's been through the visitation of all these three ghosts and his life has just been changed. But he's, you know, dancing about giddy as a schoolgirl. You know, he's just that's what he's doing. He's rejoicing. And so as believers, he's saying we need to rejoice not only in this hope, but we need to rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that provides a little bit of a problem because that looked kind of strange. Somebody to go through great sufferings and they're just rejoicing in the middle of it. But there's a reason that Paul gives for it and what he means is not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And he does say we in our. So he's not just saying y'all can rejoice in y'all's sufferings. You know, I'm Paul. I'm, I'm up here. I've got my act together. I'm, I'm I've got my faith intact. I don't go through sufferings anymore because, you know, and there's some churches that teach that, that um, it's, if your faith is good enough, if your faith is strong enough, then you can, you can pray that away. You can, you, you can get rid of that. That's not going to be a problem. And Paul's like, I wish somebody filled me on on that a long time ago. It's like you go through these things and we rejoice in our sufferings. If you don't have sufferings, guess what you don't get? Endurance, character, and hope. It doesn't grow. And so we're supposed to rejoice in our sufferings. And that suffering is a, a difficult word. It can also be translated tribulations. So, but tribulations kind of makes it sound like, you know, difficult things. But sufferings, man, that makes it. And that's kind of what that, the Greek word does get that. Ugh, they get that kind of gut-wrenching kind of thing that happens. Difficult things. But we're supposed to rejoice in these. Rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. And so we're going to look at that briefly here. We rejoice now in our sufferings and tribulations because suffering produces these things. How do we get from suffering to hope? That's, that's what we want to do because it's hard to, to have hope in the midst of your suffering. And one is, he says, the suffering is going to produce an endurance. You are made stronger by them. Um, one of the things is we made the trips to Haiti. The, the, the missionaries that are there, they talk about the Haitian people. And just, one of the things they say um, repeatedly is they're strong. They're strong. And it's like, well, what makes them so strong? You're talking about some kind of genetic thing? It's like, no. We're talking about they have been through trials and sufferings and tribulations. They've been through it. And they have to survive. 
and they have to get through it, and they do, and they've learned to do this generationally. Whereas in this country, you could argue for somewhat that, you know, we've become soft. We've become weak because we haven't had to struggle through these things. And I think one of the ways we've been praying for revival in this country, as the church has been praying for it, is, you know, that weakness, that softness that we've developed has been shown to be a problem. And then there's the generation of people through different generations who are now going, I need to be, I need strength. I need something true. I need something solid. I need, I need something real. I need to know how do I get through this. And, and then they start to think about church again. They think about the Lord, Christ again. I want, I want something real. I want something solid. I want to be able to stand in grace. How does one do that? And not just in a way that's just lackadaisical. You just flippantly, you're just like, I don't care about anything. It's no strong. You're going to be made strong. As we go through trials and tribulations, we're going to be made strong. Um, understanding our weakness and need of him and his strength. Being jars of clay with a treasure within us. A light by a spirit by which we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that's when we begin to understand that verse. And so we grow stronger. And then this endurance, it says it produces character. And there's another one of those words. And the King James says it produces experience. And so it's, it's sort of the same thing. It means a proven ability to endure. Like you've gotten this far. You've made it this far. It's like if you've ever made a, a boat or like a little, I know I've made these little models or something that's supposed to actually, or an airplane, like those, the ones you put together and they got the motor on it and they fly and it's like, okay, you know, is it going to hold up? Is it going to hold together? And so you put the boat out there and it's like, you're not going to know unless you, you know, it might float there in tranquility, but what happens when a storm hits it? Or you might have this airplane that flies pretty good. What happens when a strong wind comes? And when that comes, and it survives it, it's like, okay, it's, it has proven character, it has experience. When you've been through something, not only are you stronger, but you've also have learned that I can get through this. I have the ability, and hopefully you've gotten through this, the idea being you've done this through your faith, you've done this with Christ, and now not only am I stronger, but I'm also I, proven this thing, it has developed this idea in your mind and in your heart that whatever comes next, I can get through this too, you know, if you've ever been through, we talked about a hurricane. If you've ever been through a hurricane, you know, did, and certain houses have stood, certain have not. So they build them differently in things because of um, past experience. And so um, this is what we want to do. We're growing stronger because of the tested genuineness of our faith, as Paul puts it. Peter puts it, rather. Um, and when Peter talks about the tested genuineness of your faith, he's not just saying, you know, do you really have faith? But is your faith able to get you through things? And if you go through these things with your faith, that's how you prove your faith. Is it substantive? Is it real? And what you'll learn as you lean on him through hard times is he is real. His grace is real. His presence is real. So because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have access to this grace. We rejoice with a hope in a future bright glory that is produced in this present darkness and so it gives us hope and in fourth we see is hope does not put us to shame and that's the fifth verse it says character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame and so that's a beautiful thing 
Because you can have hope in something and it never comes. You can hope in something and it lets you down. But what God is saying is this hope that will be produced through your suffering and your endurance and your experience will not let you down. It will not disappoint you, the thing that you're hoping in. And he says why? He says because. So how do we know? Because. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing, not an entity. This is the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And he's, this love of God has been poured into our hearts. And so in Acts and Joel and in Titus, it's the Holy Spirit has been poured into your hearts. But here it is, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So when you read that, the Holy Spirit's been poured into your heart. The Holy Spirit's been given to you. It's the love of God. So it's not just the force of the love of God, but it's where we experience are connected to the love of God. And this love of God is poured into your heart. It's, that's, you, know, it's you pour yourself into somebody. You know what that means. It's just like you've, you've given. He's given himself, and it's poured into our hearts so that it controls and captures our hearts. And we don't just know him and experience his care, but we we feel him. The, the Christian faith is not just a, a, um, a, a, an educated faith. It's not just um, informational. It is, it is emotional. And they, you can get carried away with emotions and you can, make, um, the, you can make your evangelism and your worship all emotional without any content. But you have to worship in truth and in spirit. You have to, if you have an emotionless worship, it's a stench. It's terrible. I don't care what you're singing or saying. You don't have any emotions attached to it. Hopefully positive emotions attached to it. It's nothing. The love. And love is more than just things you do. It, it, God creates us with feelings. God expresses himself and things, reveals himself as a feeling God. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love God. And we have this love of God poured into our hearts where he's giving him Himself, where the Holy Spirit Himself is given to us, controlling and capturing our hearts. We feel Him, His love, His care, by which our spirits cry out, Abba, Father. And so you have to ask yourself at this level, you know, do you know the Lord? And so you can go to at some links, and some churches might do this, where it's like, we're going to try to, to do this emotional experience. So when you leave, you're like, yeah, man, I know God. I know Him. And it's like, I, you got to be careful of that because I've heard a saying. It's like, you know, some churches, have, the Holy Spirit has left some churches a long time ago, but it's so loud in there that nobody noticed. So you have to be very careful with that, that you can have, you know, music playing. You can have people that are rip roaring and carrying on. It's kind of like the band playing on the Titanic. It's like it's going down and you're still playing. And, you know, are there still people out there dancing and just saying whatever, whatever, whatever? Um, you have to be careful of that, that your love needs to be based on something. It's based on something you know about God. Our theology should serve our doxology. The more we know him, the more we want to love him. The more we love him. And the more we love him, the more you want to know about him. And then the more you know about him, the more you love him. It's not like you finally get to this point. If you ever, you know, you're dating somebody, you're friends with somebody. It's like you really like them, you, you love them. And then the more you learn about them, it's like it's just deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden you learn that next thing. It's like, oh, 
didn't know that, you know, and it's like, so then we have to recommit and figure out, okay, I gotta love somebody through this or something, but with God, it's never that. It's like, you're never gonna learn something new about God. I mean, you might learn something about God, and it gives you pause, or it makes you wonder. It's because you've got a messed up way of thinking, and so he's the one that's gonna change you, so you're the one unlovable, and so we've got to come up with that to understand he's loved us as we're unlovable, but he is the most lovable thing there is. He's the definition of it. And so as he attunes our hearts to sing his praise, this is what he's doing. And so we have to say, all right, are we trusting him in our sufferings and trials? And how we do this is we listen to him in his word. We're to be encouraged at church. We're to feed upon him in his gospel. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And um, some of this one of the things I thought about was as you're thinking about um, how do you deal with rejoicing in the midst of, of sorrows. There's, there's, a, there's a meme. There's a couple of them that do this. One's got this little dog that's sitting in a, a coffee shop, I guess. And he's sipping coffee. And the whole place is just burning down. And he's just sipping coffee. And there's another one with this kid's a, a picture. And he's swinging on a swing set to have his thing be. And there's like explosions and stuff going off in the distance. And it's just like, never mind, never mind. I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah, everything's burning down around you. And you're just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not what he's talking about. It's a reality. You know, if there's things going on in your life, you know, try to put those fires out. Try to get people to put fires out with you. you it's okay to lament. And lamentations is, is something we get from the Bible. It's okay to, to, to struggle. It's okay to confess weakness. It's one of the things that brings us closer to God. You know, God, help me. I can't deal with this. And, but, but it's like not mourning as those who have no hope. You know, someone has died, and how does the world deal with it? And I'm not sure. But as a believer, we're able to say, God has meaning. God has purpose. There is after this. God is in control. I, I hope through these. So as we go through trials and tribulations and struggles, it's like, are you dealing with this with your faith? Or are you dealing this as with the world? Because these two things, endurance and character, produce hope. So there's no self-pity. There's no victimization. But there are room for tears. And we don't suffer as those who have no hope. And Paul elsewhere says our present suffering is not worthy of even being compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. He preaches to himself a lot. He's in a present suffering and he knows this present suffering is not, not and he's not just saying it in, in like something you put on, you know, I'm just going to say this. I don't care. You know, something I'm just saying to act like I feel better. It's like, no, he's grounding his hope. He gets through this because the present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that's be to reveal to us. And we are in a church, the body of Christ, where we are to encourage and strengthen and bear one of those burdens. That also means at times you need to let people know your burdens. You can't carry anybody's burdens if there's nobody burdened. And clue you in, everybody in here is burdened. So as you're helping other people with their burdens, make sure you kind of say, you know, I got some burdens too. Not that I need you, you know, but just because we each need each other. Just as we need the Christ. Douglas Moo in his commentary on Romans, he says this. All suffering betrays the presence of the enemy. And involves attacks on our relationship with Christ. If met with doubt in God's goodness and promise. Or bitterness towards others. Or despair or resignation. These sufferings can bring spiritual defeat to the believer. But if met with an attitude of confidence and rejoicing. These sufferings will produce those valuable qualities listed 
by Paul. And again, it's not some silly or crazy looking wild eyed laughing in the midst of deep personal hardship. But it is deepening understanding that he loves us. And he cares for us and he gets us through. And so if you don't know the Lord, he calls unto you. And if we've been called to him, we know that he loves us. John 6, 37 says these two things. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So one, if you've come to him, it's because the Father gave you to him. And that's awesome that you don't have Jesus pleading with the Father to please cut us some slack. It's the Father chose you before the foundations of the world and gives you to the Son. Then the Son presents us to the Father as the Father presents us to the Son as a bride without spot or wrinkle. And it, it, they glorify each other through us. It's one of the ways that the church glorifies God is by us acknowledging our sin and the work that Jesus Christ has done through the Holy Spirit that we're brought to the Father. And so all that the Father gives to me will come to me. second part of that verse is... And whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So you can get caught up in your theology and go, well, what if I'm not elect? What if I'm not called? Well, then go to Christ. Is that your problem? You're afraid that you can't go to Christ? You're afraid that he's going to cast you out? Well, you're violating scripture's promise. Whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Go to him. Plead your lack of righteousness. I need you. Please reveal yourself to me. And then don't tell me you want to know more about God, but you're not going to read his Bible or you're not going to go to church or you're not going to listen to sermons or you're not going to talk to other believers or you're not going to pray because you don't really want to know. You want to have the matrix downloaded into your brain or you're just playing with it all. If you want to know God, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that's good news for us as believers that we're able to see him even in our sufferings. And he's calling, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. So let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that we have peace with you, and we are thankful that we have been introduced into this grace in which we stand, and that we have continued access to you by this grace. And we are most thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ, who purchased us from sin and wrath by his own blood on the cross. And we're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, through whom your love has been poured into our hearts. And as we come to the table of our Lord this morning, we pray that as the bread and the wine go into our bodies for life, that this promised gospel to those who believe will fill us by your Holy Spirit with the love of Christ now and forevermore. Amen.